You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. Well, howdy, tribe. Hello to everyone joining us digitally and listening via audio. My name's Lee. I'm one of your tribe teachers. And just a quick addendum to our announcements. If you, in our time today, in your time watching with us digitally, feel after our time you want to continue processing your thoughts or have somebody pray with or for you, be sure to go to citytribe.church slash prayer. We have folks ready and willing to pray with you. They will follow up with you. And one other thing, I recognize that this has been an incredibly difficult year, and this pandemic has hit some harder than others. And so... What I'm about to say, you guys, I I totally understand if you check out, but I want to just say thank you, especially to those who have been able to give even just a penny to continue this kingdom movement. So let me encourage you guys to continue to contribute here, sow a seed, invest in the kingdom if you can. If you cannot, again, totally cool. If you're a visitor, I totally understand, but we want to continue to be able to spread the message of Jesus in this world to give hope in a time that we are in. Now, Today, we are in part three of a four-part series that we have called The Gift and the Giver. The gift being a reference to Jesus' Holy Spirit poured out into us when we declared in our heart of hearts that Jesus is Lord. And the giver, a reference to the fact that Jesus' Spirit, when he indwells us, gives us new, eternal life not just in a future date, but right here, right now, in its fullest possible capacity. And so Jesus is spirit, is the gift that gives. And last week in part two, we learned because we have been renewed that we must be very mindful to seize and take captive every thought that comes against our new identity, every thought that comes against who Jesus says we are. And today, part three, We're going to continue to unpack what it means practically to live by the power of this gift. We've said that we have to develop the discipline daily to live by the power of Jesus's indwelling spirit. And so for some of you, you might have wondered like, okay, how exactly am I supposed to know what Jesus's spirit is telling me? And maybe you've asked, how do I differentiate between my own thoughts and external influences, cultural influences, and what Jesus' spirit is saying for me to do? Well, the answer to those questions is in a letter that's been collected in our Bible. We're going to survey that letter today. It was written by a Jewish man named Paul and directed to the first century Jesus-centered community, the tribe in a city called Corinth. So we know this letter as first Corinthians. If you plan to highlight and underline, follow along, open your Bibles to the section titled 1 Corinthians. And as always, before we jump into our teaching, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us out, to testify to us, to teach us and remind us. Would you guys join me in a time of prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the gift that is your spirit and the gift that is your word in the scriptures that we might learn from them and Um, that you might speak to us through them. And so, Lord, right now, I pray that your spirit would just calm our hearts and our minds, soften us, whatever hardness we might have come in here with, whatever distractions that are taking attention from our focus. We just pray 
Lord, that you would center us. Help us focus on your scriptures, what it is you want to say to us. Lord, speak through me that I might be able to continue to give what you want to give to the folks you love. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for our teaching today, it is important that we have just a basic knowledge of life in first century Corinth. And so to help us do that, I need your help. All right. I need your participation here. So if the following applies to you, you guys joining us digitally, drop a raised hand emoji in the chat. And then you guys here in the Cameo Theater, be sure to raise your hand and keep your hands raised if this applies to you. So raise your hand and keep it raised if you've ever partied in New Orleans, perhaps on Bourbon Street, for example. Don't be shy. It's all good. Raise your hand and keep it raised if you've ever partied in Miami Beach, perhaps on Ocean Drive. And raise your hand and keep it raised if you've ever partied in Las Vegas, perhaps on the Strip. Go ahead, keep them raised. Well, these cities have been named the top three party cities in the United States, and they are considered adult playgrounds. And so that was a trick question. All of you who raised your hands, we now know who all the sinners are in City Tribe. I'm messing with you. Well, these party cities, they boom with businesses and activities that attract a whole bunch of wealthy folks and big name celebrities and what one wears or what one doesn't wear. And the money that one flaunts can determine into what parties one gets admitted. And alcohol is pretty much accessible and acceptable at all hours of the day in these cities. And these cities have codes of conduct of their own. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, what happens here stays here, right? Some of y'all live by that. Meaning there in those cities, you can indulge in your inner sinner, right? You can indulge in your inner glutton and in your inner greed, and nobody is going to judge you because everybody is doing it. And YOLO, you only live once, right? And so it's no wonder that Las Vegas has earned the nickname Sin City. And I bring up these city experiences because they are modern reflections of culture in first century Corinth. So because of its geographical location, Corinth was considered the bridge of seas. And so everyone in the ancient world who was involved in trading and involved in traveling passed through Corinth. And as such, it was a hub for many businesses and many activities like the athletic festival, similar to the Olympics known as the Isthmian Games. Corinth thus attracted all the biggest names and all the wealth in the ancient world. But the primary reason that Corinth grew so crowded and became so rich was because of the 1,000 prostitutes enslaved to appease the Greek goddess of passion and pleasure, Aphrodite. They were enslaved in her temple. And like gamblers at a roulette table, Travelers squandered all of their money and all of their goods on trysts with these temple prostitutes. And so Corinthian culture, it was rampant with sexual immorality and gluttony and greed and vanity and arrogance, a whole bunch of self-indulgence and self-interest. And like the slogan, what happens in Vegas, this ancient city had a slogan of its own. And it was this, not For every man is the voyage to Corinth. It will destroy you. And so whenever you hear Corinthians, I want you to think people who've been subjected to sin cities culture, people who have been subjected to a self-indulgent, self-interested value. 
Now, what's so beautiful about this, and I, I don't want any of us to miss this. This is pretty important here, is that maybe some of you have heard or you've been taught that God sends hurricanes or tidal waves to sinful cities to punish the people. Or maybe that he sent this pandemic to punish our world's immorality. But the reality is, when God wants to send a message to sinners, he sends a person. Like he sent Jesus to be born of a virgin, to enter into our world, to engage with sinful people, that he might pour out his spirit into us so he could indwell us, be God with us. And by that power of the very indwelling spirit, God sent Paul to Corinth, a voyage not for every man. And so don't miss this. God clearly adored even the sinful Corinthians. And he had a desire to be Lord of their lives so that he might gift them with the spirit he freely offers every single one of us. Well, the scriptures teach for a year and a half, 18 months in Corinth, Paul preached this message. And it's the same message that we at City Tribe exist to persuade you of. It's the same message, the same wording that many of us declared in part one of this series. And it's this, he preached, there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. And then after successfully sparking a Jesus-centered tribe there, Paul moved on to his next assignment. But a short time after that, a group of Corinthians from that Corinthian tribe, they reported to him certain concerns about other believers' conduct. Some were caught in the intense undercurrent of that Corinthian culture, and they reverted back to their old way of living. They had perverted Paul's teachings about Jesus with human wisdom and philosophies of their day and of their culture. And some, they sought supremacy and they sought superiority over other Jesus's followers. They had returned to that self-interested, self-indulgent way of life. And I have to imagine for that concerned group in their tribe, that this would have been very disenchanting, disheartening. Like, I don't know about you, but for me, it's so discouraging to see Jesus's followers pervert his teachings for supremacy and for personal gain and personal profit. And I'm sure that group felt that this was not the faith experience that they had been sold in Paul's sermons. This was not the faith experience that they had signed up for. And so there was so much strife and stress and dissension and division among that tribe. Paul called out their self-interested conduct as if to say, y'all are not using the gift that you've been freely given. You ain't living by the power of Jesus's indwelling spirit. He called them out this way. He said, you are still worldly for since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? So obviously they had not developed the one discipline that we have been encouraging you to develop. And when we don't develop that discipline, we could very easily, just like them, get swept up in the powerful currents of culture and the philosophies of this world. We will regress. And instead of everything in life eventually becoming easier and our lives being even more extraordinary, we will be caught up in stress and strife, toxicity. And so how do we avoid that regression? Once we have been indwelled by Jesus' spirit, how do we avoid the regression that the Corinthian tribe experienced? Well, Paul reminded the Corinthians of the perks that come 
with receiving Jesus's spirit. And these perks are illustrated by the five deeps expedition. It's going to be on the Discovery Channel here in the next couple of weeks. The Five Deeps Expedition was a research project which, for the first time in human history, explored the deepest points of Earth's five oceans, reaching depths of up to 36,000 feet, depths that are greater than Mount Everest is high. For 10 months, a team of the world's greatest scientists and engineers, they mapped 47,000 ocean floor miles in deep trenches. They even captured, check this out, they even captured on camera this never-before-seen balloon-on-a-string-looking translucent gelatinous fish. Pretty amazing, right? And because of these scientists' discoveries, because of their work, exploring the trenches, you and I, we have been made aware of realities that we never even considered existed. And in the same way that these five deep expedition explorers revealed to you and to me previously unknown truths about our world, the Holy Spirit makes known to you and to me the depths of God's innermost thoughts. It's pretty incredible. Paul wrote it this way. He said, the spirit, like a deep sea submarine, searches everything, even the depths of God. And no one knows the thoughts of God except that spirit of God. Now, we haven't received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who comes from God, who searches his depths so that we, you and I, may understand what has been freely given to all of us. That's pretty dope. Jesus' spirit reveals to us God's deepest, innermost thoughts. Because of the gift God has given us, Jesus' spirit, which indwells us, you and I have the capacity to understand and to reflect on what God, the creator himself, wants to reveal to us. Like the recently discovered jellyfish, he wants to reveal to you and to me never before imagined truths about life. Paul punctuated his point this way. He said, we have the mind of Christ. You ever considered that? We have the mind of Christ. Think about this. The mind that's brilliant enough to establish the earth fix its dimensions, enclose the seed, determine its boundaries is the same mind that you and I now have. The very capacity to reason and to reflect, which helped Jesus resist temptation when he was in the wilderness for 40 days without food, we have that same capacity to reason and reflect and resist temptation. The wisdom that Jesus applied when dealing with difficult people is the same wisdom that you and I have been given. The resolve, which determined that it was better to die for humanity's sins, past, present, and future, better to die than to summon 12 legions of angels to avoid suffering, it's the same resolve that's been given to you and to me. Listen, if you have declared in your heart of hearts that Jesus is Lord of your life, you no longer have the mind of a mere human. You now have the mind of the creator 
who designed a balloon on a string looking fish that's able to survive at 30,000 foot depths in the ocean. And I need you to get this. So right now, here's what we're going to do. This is a participatory part of our time together. Even you guys watching digitally and listening only to the audio. I'm going to ask the question, who has the mind of Christ? To which you will respond in the affirmative, I have the mind of Christ. It's going to be fun, I promise you. So we're going to do a practice run, and then we're going to do a real run with conviction. All right, I'll say, who has the mind of Christ? You say, I have the mind of Christ. All right, here we go. Who has the mind of Christ? That was a really good practice run. So here's the real one, and we're going to do it with conviction because it is true. It's been told to us in the scriptures. So here we go. Who has the mind of Christ? Tag a friend in the chat or encourage the person you came with and you tell them you have the mind of Christ. Listen, I need you guys to internalize this truth. Teach it to your children. Teach it to your grandchildren. You and I, we will avoid the regression that the Corinthians experienced if we develop the discipline to think with the mind of Christ, or as we've said in this series, to live by the power of Jesus's indwelling spirit. And now the question that it does raise for us is this, how are we to know how the mind of Christ thinks? Pay special attention to this because people can sometimes make spirituality too much about feelings and the senses and spontaneity and not enough about reason and reflective thinking, not enough about the mind. What Paul explained is that the person who thinks like Jesus with the mind of Christ is a lot like that one friend we all have or that one family member we all have. You know, the one that should have been a forensic investigator because they're better at finding out information than the CIA or the FBI. Y'all know who I'm talking about, right? The one who, the moment you say, so I met a guy, turns into Detective Pikachu and begins to gather detailed information about every girl he's dated, his work history, his credit score, his DNA, makeup, ancestry.com, the last time he called his mama, all of this information in order to analyze what we think about him, right? Or, <laughs> you know those forensic friends, the ones to whom you say, you know, he claims he didn't get my text messages. And before you finish your sentence, your team is huddled around all their computers and they're gathering evidence, examining evidence from all of his social media posts over the last several years. Like, okay, he was tagged in a picture at a bar at 10.01 p.m. on Thursday. And then using a magnifying, the magnifying effect, I zoomed in to a thousand times and I noticed a pixel of what looks like a thread of a woman's pair of jeans, and I researched those jeans. And it turns out they were sold at H&M in the year 2018. And they happened to appear like the same jeans of a girl in a pic who he recently commented on that pic. And so, according to that girl's profile, she worked at H&M in 2018. And so ladies, we got him. He's lying. Do not believe him. And so like our forensic investigator friends who don't simply follow their feelings, but they thoroughly examine and evaluate every possible pixel and every detail to inform their decisions. The mind of Christ is also diligent to evaluate every matter. 
Paul wrote it this way. The spiritual person can evaluate everything. And so, to live by the power of Jesus' spirit, it isn't about just going with how you feel and spontaneously about a certain matter. You've got to forensically examine every detail that is what the mind of Christ does, evaluates everything. So before you criticize that person, ask Jesus to reveal to you your own self-esteem, your own self-worth and intent before you get into that relationship. Even though you're completely infatuated with him or with her, you feel good about this one this time. Evaluate with the mind of Christ whether or not it's wise for you to jump in and get involved with this person. Before you get out of that relationship, even though you may have lost that love and feeling, evaluate with the mind of Christ and the depths of his wisdom what's really driving your desire to leave and if it's what's best and what's wisest. And heck, thoroughly examine the teachings that you hear, not just from us here at City Tribe, but any other teacher and ask Jesus, Lord, is what I am hearing aligned with your wisdom or is it the wisdom of this world? Now, for many of us, like the Corinthians, who might be still exploring our faith, still new to the faith, still unfamiliar what the scriptures teach about who Jesus is and how he conducted himself. Folks of us, folks like us who are still not acquainted with Jesus's wisdom and fighting against getting swept in the undercurrent of this world's wisdom, where do we start? Well, to give you a starting point, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a simple, single starting place to help you know if your reasoning aligns with Jesus's. So to know if you're aligned with what Jesus is for, we've got to get clear about what Jesus is not for. Jesus is not for this. Fungus among us. Jesus is not for fungus among us. Now, fungus, it discreetly breaks down and feeds off of objects for energy and in order to grow and in order to reproduce. For example, if you've ever made bread, you'll likely have added the fungus yeast. And when you added the fungus to your dough, it began to eat or absorb certain properties of that dough. And because fungus has this like glue-like property, it keeps things together even as it breaks things down. And so over time, even though it ate away at the dough, it will eventually grow and the bread will expand. It will leaven with emptiness. And like fungus, which discreetly feeds off of other things in order to grow and in order to break things down, in order that it would spread a superiority complex or better than attitude will eventually do the same in a community. Swindling from someone, their negative opinions about others under the pretense of, well, I'm just seeking their perspective and I'm just getting their opinions. That will be a practice that eventually gets repeated and being greedy and lustful, feeding off of others, being self-indulgent. It is incredibly contagious. And not only will self 
self-interested, self-indulgent behaviors like that eventually reproduce in our classrooms, in our communities, in our families, in our tribe. Like fungus's gluing property that keeps things together, our tribe will stay together while inflating with nothingness, with emptiness, and with a new behavioral norm. All it takes is just one person who holds his or her head high above others to look down on them to spread just a little fungus and create a community that looks filled but is actually empty because it's been broken down and eaten up. And so Jesus is not for any mind that is focused on the self. He is not for fungus among us. Paul wrote it this way. He said, you're holding your head up high is not good. Don't you know that a little fungus, a little leaven, it leavens the whole batch of dough? And so one of the ways to know if your actions are aligned with Christ's mind is to examine in detail whether or not self-interest, a little fungus, is involved in your decision-making. For example, in part one of this series, I had shared how a few years ago I felt a little disgruntled with how church organizations, particularly in America, flirt with ideals that are completely opposed to what Jesus has taught and what he values. And I felt emotionally depleted. I was spiritually dissatisfied. And one of the factors that helped me leave church work when I left church work was knowing how fungus works. I evaluated my sentiments and I recognized my potential. Under the pretense of seeking sympathy and clarity and getting people's opinions and their thoughts, I had the potential to be a fungus that leavened the community with emptiness, with toxicity. And that would have been very self-interested. That would not have been the mind of Christ. And so I cleaned the would-be leaven. That is, I removed the could-be fungus from among us, myself. And I left church work. In fact, Here's what else I did. Like a forensic investigator who examines every thought, I knew that my heart was at a place where I would say or I would do something that would have been irreparable to even one of my best friends who I love, whose family I love, and who at the time, and probably still is, God is doing some incredible, amazing things. And so rather than being a fungus among him and his family, I, for a season, removed myself from engaging in that relationship. That is, I cleaned the old leaven so as to not break down that relationship with and fill it with emptiness while keeping it together. And this is exactly what the mind of Christ requires of us and what Paul instructed the Corinthians to do. He wrote this. He said, clean out the old leaven so that you may be, as Pastor Robbie shared with us, a new Creation, so that you may be new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. I wrote you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, a brother or a sister, and is completely self-interested, is completely self-indulgent, and he listed someone who's sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, someone who's verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with that person. Do not associate with them whatsoever. Remove the evil person from among you. Remove the fungus from among us. It will only infect and affect and permeate your life. Now, I know some of y'all might be thinking, that's kind of extreme. And that's pretty immature. 
We're supposed to talk things out and duke things out. And this is one of the reasons why I don't like Christianity. How can a loving God ask you to remove someone from your life? Self-indulgent people matter to God too, right? And so how is removing someone from your life, having the mind of Christ who died for everyone? Well, when we, with the mind of Christ, evaluate Paul's instruction to remove someone from our lives whose self-interest is like a fungus that's growing and spreading, well, we get clear about what Paul doesn't say. Here's what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say that that person is no longer of any value or any worth, that they are forever canceled. And he doesn't say that removing them from your life has to be permanent. It could be just for an hour as you go for a run and cool off. It could be for a day or a week or a year, however long it takes that person to turn from self-interested ways, self-indulgent ways, and return to living as Jesus is Lord. And then upon further examining, like the detective Pikachu, further examining his instruction, we learn Removing the fungus of self-interest from our lives, our families, our tribe, it is actually a form of grace. And it's an amazing revelation of the depths of Jesus' love for us. Here's what I mean. Have you ever successfully argued with someone whose mind is already made up about their politics? Has your response to your Thea's or your high school friend's social media post ever changed their position on that matter? My guess is, like I've not had, you've not had much success changing those individuals' minds, right? The reason is what psychologists call the backfire effect. The backfire effect can occur when people encounter legitimate evidence that challenges their held beliefs. And instead of evaluating their beliefs, they reject your evidence and then they dig their heels even deeper into their previously held stance. Sadly, showing some people evidence that they are clearly wrong is an incredibly ineffective tactic at changing their minds. And this occurs because contradicting a person's pre-existing beliefs, it makes them feel threatened. And it raises in them all sorts of negative emotions, negative feelings, and it puts them in this defensive mindset. So when you're engaged in the conversation, they're ready to go to war with you. And so they'll perceive you as a hostile enemy or that you are a negative Nancy. And they will throw out your completely valid, legitimate argument as something that can't be trusted because you can't trust an enemy, right? So for example, if I was so wrapped up in my preference for a particular political candidate, and you came to me showing me all sorts of information about this individual's character, or if you were telling me about how his policies are faulty, that conversation would only make me dig my heels in even deeper to my original stance. And I would support that candidate even more strongly. Or if I was so convinced that the earth was a donut, This is a real theory, by the way. And you presented me all the scientific reasons for how that couldn't be, how horizons work, and how gravitational pull works. I might think to myself, wow, you sad, uninformed person. I pray that one day your eyes will be open to truth. Because of the backfire effect, 
you and I will never change a self-interested, self-indulgent person's mind ever. So when you and I, with the mind of Christ, remove ourselves from that person, you will experience the grace of not wasting your breath, of not getting all frustrated and riled up over a situation you never had the chance to change. And that self-involved person that you remove from your presence, the leaven that you clean up, they will also experience grace because you won't have made them feel threatened. And because you won't have made them feel threatened, you will have saved them. You will have spared them from strengthening their beliefs in misinformation and conspiracy theories. And you will have valued them and you will have valued the community by not feeding the fungus and allowing it to grow and spread and permeate. You know, it reminds me of a proverb that is one of the reasons I do not argue with people whose minds are already made up. I will not argue with you about theological stances that you might have. The scriptures taught thousands of years before psychologists even started writing about this. They wrote, don't speak to a fool for he will despise the insight of your words. This is why cleaning the leaven from your life is a mature form of grace. This is why it demonstrates the depths of Jesus' love for us. This is why you have scriptural permission. This isn't coming from Lee. I am not giving you permission. You have scriptural permission to remove for a season self-interested folks from your life, from your tribe. And this, this is our starting point in knowing whether or not you are aligned with the mind of Christ. And so as we continue our journey to develop the discipline of living by Jesus's indwelling spirit, and as we enter into a new season, a new year, the time is opportune. It is the perfect time for us to clean the leaven. So here's what I'm inviting you to do with me. Let's together, with the mind of Christ that we now have with Jesus's indwelling spirit, let's forensically examine, that is, evaluate every matter. Ask Jesus, Lord, who in my life is the fungus among us that's spreading self-interest and toxicity and emptiness and stress and strife? Lord, could it be me? And then for a season, graciously remove yourself from that situation. Unfollow, unfriend, unsubscribe from that profile, like Ariana Grande telling you to do. If you are the one spreading the fungus, temporarily disable your own account. If there is temptation among somebody you are connected with, cut it off, nix it, it will spread, it will infect you. If you shared with friends how you don't enjoy their constant put downs and they keep doing it anyway, or if your whole friendship just revolves around partying and getting shwasted and chattering that cheese man. Every time you guys are together, remember, that is the old you. You have been renewed. You have the mind of Christ. So clean the leaven. Graciously remove yourself from those friends, if just for a season. And if you're dating someone, they're always right. You're always wrong. Everything has to be their way. Your way is always terrible and not good enough and they're unwilling to hear you out, pump the brakes on even considering moving in, pump the brakes 
on marriage talk, clean the leaven, remove yourself from that relationship. Again, even if just for a season. And if you recognize that you are the fungus, like I recognized I could have been, clean the old leaven, remove yourself for a time from certain situations as to not spread your toxicity. And when you're ready, and when the other party is ready, there will be far less damage for you to repair. Trust will be rebuilt so much quicker. And as frightening and uncomfortable, scary as all of this sounds, because it is part of living by Jesus's indwelling spirit, I am convinced, I guarantee that at some point, whether it's a month or it's 10 months or a year or 10 years from now, you will experience what's been promised, what the Corinthians experienced. About 30 years after Paul had been executed for his faith in Jesus, his disciple Clement recorded about the Corinthians, at least for a time, that they had removed from their tribe the self-interest, the fungus from among them, and it produced in them a life that was even more extraordinary. Here's what Clement wrote. He said, you are all humble-minded, Corinthians. You're not boastful. You're yielding rather than domineering. You're happily giving rather than receiving. And a profound and rich peace, a plentiful outpouring of the Holy Spirit has fallen upon you all. And not surprisingly, cleaning the leavening fungus, removing myself for a season from engaging in that friendship, it did the same for me. And so several months after I had disengaged from my dear friend, we agreed to go on a bro date. And being in a much better place mentally and emotionally, I was able to receive what he had to share without feeling threatened, without the backfire effect. He understood my decision was made with the intent and an attempt to live by the power of Jesus's spirit. He appreciated my interests were for our collective good, not just me and him, our relationship, but our families, that I'd rather sacrifice a few months apart than a lifetime of a relationship without them. And because of the grace he extended, and because I trusted what the mind of Christ requires, what's been recorded for us in the scriptures, and I did not allow for irreparable damage to take place, for toxicity to spread our friendship, not only picked back up where we left off, but I feel our trust is even stronger. It's even deeper. And our bond is even more extraordinary than before. The laughs are even more intense. And I want for you, for all of us, our whole tribe to experience the same fungus-free life. So, remember, you have the mind of Christ. And with the mind of Christ, evaluate everything like a forensic investigator. Examine every detail and remove the self-interested, the fungus from among us. And this is the single starting place to develop the discipline that we've been encouraging you to develop daily, to live by the power of Jesus's indwelling spirit. Would y'all join me in praying? Lord, we thank you that you poured out your spirit onto us, into us, in order to indwell us, in order to give us your mind and 
access to the depths of it. Thank you, Lord, that you want to reveal to us truths that we've never even imagined, never even considered, couldn't even conceive. Lord, we thank you for the truth that removing the fungus from among us is actually grace and your love for us and your love for that individual who is fungus. And so I pray right now, Lord, that you would help us. You would, in the richness and the depths of your wisdom, show us who is fungus among us, who is toxic, filling our lives with emptiness. We're open to the fact that it could be us. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do, how to gently, graciously remove ourselves from that situation. Lord, give us the courage to act on it. We want to experience a more extraordinary life and live by the power of your indwelling spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we are going to continue this series next Sunday. But before then, Christmas Eve, here in the Cameo Theater with our lead pastor, Doug Robbins. I love you guys. I hope you guys have an exceptional week. We'll see you then. God bless. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.